This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is Talking oh, Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined by the legendary former Manchester United defender, Paul Parker. How are you doing, Paul? I'm fine, thank you very much, Wayne. It's good news today, Paul. I can meet you and hug you if I want to. So start running. <laughs> yeah, <this. laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I'd have to oblige. <laughs> yeah. given, given, given the odd over 200 mile between us, I, Feel quite relieved at this moment in time. <laughs> You've got a head start. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, Talking Devils brought to you in association with Classic Football Shirts. Um, they have a range of classic shirts and sportswear online and in physical stores as well. And listeners to this podcast get a 10% discount using TOTD10 at checkout online. Um, and as always, proud to support the Duncan Edwards Foundation and Museum in Dudley um, wrote by Rose Cook Monk. I can't begin to tell you a great job that Rose is doing there. The, the museum's actually reopening tomorrow. Um, it's got its um, sort of opening for VIPs today, being reopened by the Murphy family. Um, really support that if you can. Um, it's a valuable part of United culture. Just Google Duncan Edwards Foundation and the world will be your oyster, um, as far as that's concerned. Um, also... Um, I love those little tweets that start with some personal news and I was so excited last week because um, BT Sport finally announced that um, the film that I've been working on uh, that's coming out alongside my book on George Best that's going to air after the Europa League final True Genius um, it's, it's such a good film they've done such a good job with it 
Um, I can't wait for people to see that. Um, worked with Callum and Paul went down to the cliff and to Wembley with Callum who's been working on the the film as a narrator and um and presenter and we went into the you know like obviously the cliff's not been used for a long time for the for the first team and you know just to go back there I've been there a few times but to go there and go inside it and I think it's it, the first time he, that Callum had been in as an adult you know so, so to see the son of George Best walking around this sort of place where his dad had sort of learned his formative years he was sort of taken aback by it it was a surreal experience um it must have been like that for you as well, you know, going into Cliff for the first time. Because it's people who don't know the Cliff, it's it's pretty much like a community club dressing room, isn't it? <laughs> it's, not, it's not like the swish you would expect. It's like you... oh no, it's, 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 it is. It's like a kind of a local community centre with with, a, with with the big football pitch next to it. Yeah. That's exactly what it's like. When you say that, you are spot on there. Yeah, it's nothing like the the tech, you know, the technology and all that goes into it. Now it was just. It was just full of men who just wanted to play football. That's all it was. But now you virtually go in now, and it's all like Chelsea's training ground. After you know, touch it, they've got to put their their thumb onto a pad to go into the training ground. <laughs> I mean, all you had to all you had to do there was hope the red the red gates was open and there weren't people in front of it stopping you going in. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, but I mean, the memories, Paul. Even for you, I mean, Ooh. you must have got a shiver down your spine a few times when you pulled up parking it in there. I mean, it was for me going there. I'd, you'd always heard of, you'd heard about it. Maybe at the time, everyone did talk about that training ground and Liverpool's training ground. Mm. But playing for a London team and being one like Fulham and QPR, we never had training grounds as such. We were like nomads. You know, we were yeah. like cuckoos. We was just—I could imagine all the people at the administration side of it. At the end of every season, their first thought is, "Where can we train next season?" Because <laughs> by the time we got to an end of the season places didn't want us there anymore we trained at the Bank of England sports ground in Roehampton when I was at Fulham um, at Queen's Park Rangers we trained on a place just by Acton a college place and then we moved to um, another bank's place and Hangar Lane I had three different training grounds at Fulham and three different training grounds while I was at QPR <laughs> so you couldn't leave, so you couldn't leave everything you couldn't leave anything behind there as I'd done as an apprentice I would have to pack the bags at Craven Cottage and then put them into a minibus and then travel in the minibus to a training ground and then afterwards we were going around picking everything up not to leave anything behind because the place was going to be used later to change rooms by members yeah. so we couldn't and if you left anything behind then you'd have to then go to your to your head boy, tell him, and him at the time was a grass. He would go back and cover his own bottom, <laughs> and go and go and tell the manager that we're missing so and so's so and so's training top with it because it have his number on there. Yeah. So that would kind of come that would kind of come out your wages. And when you're only earning sixteen quid a week, you know when someone comes in and say they're going to take a, a pound a week out your wages to pay for that, you know it's a lot of money. So that's that's how it was then. But so when I turned up at the cliff and I just saw it there, and my head was thinking, I think they, I think they're here all the time. And blimey, look up there! You can oh, there's a big what's that big glass window? And you go up there and you suddenly see, blimey, they've got a canteen. Yeah. And you can actually sit and eat here. You're not rushing off to beat traffic and to you know because you've got to go to the other side of London and you can stay and communicate with the people you play with on Saturdays rather than rushing away and saying, I'll see you tomorrow. And it was an, it was an, it was incredible, and I think any player who would move north from a lesser a lesser London side would have been would be no different 
to what to what I was going to a team because most clubs had their own training ground as such yeah. you know when we talk about top teams but when I was at QPR we never had our own training ground and we was in the top division so when I went to United and go to the cliff the cliff it was just an incredible incredible place and it was just like a a fine a finely oiled machine the way it was run it was it was it was a great place to go and work to be honest but then and let me ask you a question Wayne how's it looking much the same <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it hasn't changed. So I went there um, six or seven years ago. Um, Dave Ryan, who's a former youth goalkeeper there, um, worked there in the community. For I remember us. Dave, yes. Yeah. I remember Dave, yeah. R- Rug, as Gordon Hill calls him. He, um, he showed us around. And um, yeah, like, obviously a really nice guy, but he left. I think he left when, I'm going to say, at the start of the Mourinho era, he left. So. Um, I, I hadn't seen the cliff for a long time and I went down there um, a couple of weeks ago and yeah it looks just the same as it did then I think they're doing a bit of refurbishment on the actual you know the main the main building at the moment with the the um, changing rooms in and the canteen so a lot of mm. um, sort of restructuring work going on I don't think they're changing the actual building itself I think they're just making it safer than the kind of things that they do these days because it was yeah. it has been a bit run down but I mean, when you went there I mean so they built it I think well that they built it. United took over it in the sort of forties and fifties, and that's where the sort of Busby Babes learned the trade and everything like that. And obviously the the great teams of that era and the players that you you know you talked to me before about what, growing up and watching the seventies team. So you'd have watched the likes of um, Jimmy Nickel and then Mike Duxbury coming up in your position. Hmm. Is it like strange sort of what you're seeing because of, again the dressing rooms. They, like today they must be big enough for 30 players but today well certainly if you've been to the one at Old Trafford it's so big that it can fit like a, a massive match day squad in but the, back in, in those days at the cliff the first team dressing room had basically about 12 pegs <laughs> if you weren't in that first I'm 12 try, I'm trying to think how many of us was in now so there would have been about 14, 15 of us in there because Giggsy always Giggsy stayed in with all the young players he never come into it yeah I mean, Giggsy Stabley would kind of went in with the apprentices, and then there was another room behind where the kind of the lads who played in in the then Pontins League, yeah, they was kind of in there. And then Giggsy kind of then moved into that next bit. He never actually come and went come into the first team dressing room at the Cliff because all his mates were around there, and Giggsy was was in with them. So sharp, yeah, sharpie. Used to kind of, I think he got changed in our one, but he kept going back into the other one because they're all the lads that he had kind of growing up with as well. Yeah. So it, it was, it was, yeah, an incredible play, especially for me being like a naive Londoner and coming up there and getting myself straight involved with a community and the players was all so close together because because when you're you know when you're not playing for a London side. You know, traffic isn't really an issue. Everyone lives reasonably close to a training ground. I mean, I was at best, I was an hour and a half away. Yeah. Um, because because of the traffic and the M25 wasn't built wasn't built properly built then, so it was a little bit on the 25. And having to go into London, it was an absolute nightmare. So as soon as training finished, there was no time for chatting. There was just about enough time to wash your armpits and then jump in your car, and you was gone. Yeah. You know, so so it was great for me. I'd never had so much time in my ha- time on my hands after training ever. <laughs> um, I remember Brian Greenoff telling me that 
I, I don't know where he'd been before, but he complained about the cliff. But maybe what Harry Gregg said about Brian was right. It was a serial complainer. But he said that the cliff wasn't <laughs> it wasn't up so much and it never changed. But I guess when when you had an had uh, a home base as such, then I mean, it must have been palatial. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, great memories. The cliff and he's there. He's there. I mean, people can go and have a look at it if they want. Um, I don't, don't say obviously it's private property, but if there's a way that you can get in sort of drench yourself in that history because they've still got the ramshackle stand across from the pitch they've, they've still got the, the brick dugout and everything like that it's just it, honestly it is magic and then Wembley, at the, Wembley at the back the absolutely the back. Yeah, we called, still there yeah. Wembley we called yeah. the grass on that was absolutely perfect <laughs> absolutely it was, it was immaculate we only went on that when it was a really nice day any rain or anything like that we weren't allowed to go on Wembley. Go on <laughs> to be fair, the main pitch is gorgeous now as well, but obviously it would be. Um, but yeah, it is it's just, um, it is drenched, drenched in history and um, yeah, great stuff. Um, all right, so let's talk about football today. Um, <laughs> let's put it off for 10 mm. minutes. Um, Aston Villa, first of all, the come from behind win. Um, it seems a long, long time ago now, but good to sort of squeeze it in at the start, Paul. Um, good second half after. I didn't think we played so badly in the first half, but it was one of those sort of like you could almost feel the way that United have played this season that they were gearing up for the second half and they sort of turned it on a little bit. Um, not not brilliant, but a good performance and a good way to get the win. Greenwood, um, in particular, um, influential in the way that United played, but. Um, yeah, a good win considering what followed it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, I didn't really see the second half really coming. I think the second half was more about Aston Villa than Manchester United. I thought Aston Villa, after that little bit of decent work they'd done in the first half, they, they come out second half and they didn't, they didn't really do enough, yeah. really. And you, and then you, you look at the, um, the goal that got United going and you say to yourself, yeah, OK. And then you... Do believe that it's gonna it is gonna happen again. It's happened so many times, and you think to yourself it's not gonna happen. It gets it gets to the point when United do go behind, you do believe that they're gonna come back. You always you know it's gonna happen because it's what the season's really been about. Could they go and do this again? The amount of times they've come back, come back from behind and win games. The answer to that question is I very much doubt it in normal circumstances. Again, it's just one of those things that I think has, hap- has happened because of the way this football season's been. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying this football season, I'm saying from July, when football started again in July. Yeah. Because, you know, that's just a bit, and suddenly it's a strange one when someone says, oh, so-and-so in July, you go, don't talk, you're talking rubbish. What do you mean football? No one played football in July. <laughs> but they did. Yeah, they did. They absolutely did. Um, there, yeah, so that, that win sort of secured um, top four um, not really second place, but um, we were looking to do that against Leicester and Liverpool. Just one win would have sort of secured that, but um, the cost of the win against Villa was the injury to Harry Maguire. Um, and then what we saw in the next two games was a reminder of just how bad we can be defensively because uh, um, it's a strange one, Paul. We've talked about Harry Maguire a bit conflicting throughout this season and throughout both of the seasons that he's played for United, really. Are, are we really sure he's worth that kind of money? Are we sure how much he, he brings to the side, how, how good he actually is? As the jury's probably always going to be out on that for a long time until... we let's say touch wood we win the league and Harry Maguire's the captain of it um, but until that point the jury will be out what we can probably say is that the Leicester game 
Not so much, but the Liverpool game, most certainly. Um, we'll talk about the game itself, but Harry Maguire's absence from both of those games um, sort of proves proves his importance to this defence, doesn't it? Really? I mean, or, or at least reminds us how bad it can be with Bayern Maguire, because... Good grief! That's just not a partnership. You mean by by and Lindelof? You mean you said? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's the yeah. point. By and Lindelof, um, especially. I don't. I don't know if it is the fact that Lindelof's moving about in the back line. I, I think I'm being much too kind there because we've seen enough from By and Lindelof to know as a partnership that doesn't work. We've seen enough over the time that we've we've been doing this podcast. So to have to go back to it again. Oh my god! It it was like it was almost like they'd never been away in in an horrible kind of way. Do you know what I mean? They hadn't taken this sort of year, year and a half out to learn how to play together. They just go back together, and it's just as bad as it ever was, Um, even worse. Um, Yeah, but I think and a lot of it, Wayne, is that those two haven't really played together, have they? And as well as everyone says um, Maguire hasn't missed a minute or whatever, I think it comes to a point when you need to try it and see, try and experiment he's, he's kind of played other people with Maguire but he's never played um, yeah. other people without Maguire and that's maybe should have done what maybe should have happened before, it's all well and good doing it in a training session but when it comes on the pitch, because neither of those two communicate, they don't talk mm. By I don't think Bai opens his mouth at all I really don't. He, do, he just plays off the cuff and you have to follow around him to pick up the pieces after him. And you need to you need to be shouting and shouting at him. I think one of those players, hold, 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 patience, patience, force him away, force him away. Because if you don't talk to him, he will swing a leg and try and win that ball. And that is a, and in today's football, you don't have to win the ball anymore. You can just virtually stand behind people and force them away. So, yes, it, that was always going to end up as some kind of disaster, to be perfectly honest. But we'd look at as well as the team that Ollie picked, there was too many ring-rusty players, far too many players. He made far too many changes. And as much as everyone come out, oh, yeah, but we've got a, 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 a final in Europe, we got don't want anybody to get injured, there was still the actual fact of guaranteeing second spot, guaranteeing a Champions League spot and more than anything getting a little bit of a bit of performances and a good a good feel factor before you go into a final now they're going into their next league game and with um two poor performances prior to that one with a an almost B team and then one with a regular team which really in theory got ripped to pieces um and that's, that's the thing it was a massive mistake I just believe Sir Alex would not have made so many changes if he had to he would not have had so many players who've hardly played any football put them in against a prem, you know a, a side that's chasing a Champions League spot in the Premier League he just, he just wouldn't have done it because he knows those players are sharp up to it you're talking about players who haven't played for weeks and weeks and weeks all they've done is train they've been a little bit negative on a touchline not playing and all of a sudden you say to them oh yeah take, take your covers off you're playing and they're suddenly feeling a lot of them oh yeah call me in this game I'm not going to play against Liverpool I'm not going to play in Europe they're feeling sorry for themselves um, and wh- why are you saying that for Paul because I've been there yeah. I know exactly I know exactly what they're feeling those players no one can tell me any different because they're human and they're going to feel that way they're going to feel a little bit oh well what's the point I'm not ready for this so straight away any chance to them being 
mentally prepared goes out the window. Fitness-wise, they're not going to be up to it because they've trained and trained and trained. So yes, they're fit to a point, but they haven't played competitive games. They haven't done it and playing eight sides in training. You're not going to push yourself that far. So, so no one should be surprised how it was against Leicester. Totally, and then all of a sudden, take the you suddenly put the covers back on the others, bring out all, bring out all the other, bring out the A team, and then they think, oh, playing Liverpool, everything's going to go back to normal. Sorry, momentum was lost because of the Leicester game, because what he'd done against the Leicester game, it was wrong to go with that many players, that many players out before you go and play Liverpool. That's my that's my little mini rant. No, no, and, and you're right, um, but I think again, you said you've been there for for people who are. Um, probably not aware. Oh, that's for the people who, for the people who aren't aware. The period that we're talking about in in particular is, and we were talking about this just before we came on air, was the ninety one ninety two season. You can go back and look. It's a similar amount of games in a similar amount of time, um, and it cost us the league title. We were talking about this just before we came on air, Paul, and you said we blew it. You took responsibility for that. Mm. Yeah, it's inter- interesting to me because as a fan. And I'm sure any United fan listening to this who supported us through that time would think oh, we'd put the blame everywhere, but the players. We, well, the players and the manager, we wouldn't blame you guys. We'd, we'd blame the fixture list, we'd blame opponents for fouling us, we'd blame injuries that we picked up, but we wouldn't blame you guys for what we, you know. But it, maybe that's the difference in. Um, attitude in, in what what it needs to sort of well, not attitude because I'm I'm saying I'm saying attitude but those players didn't unselect themselves so Solskjaer made that decision is that a criticism that you la- label at the manager then because I mean we, and let's put this into perspective by the way just for anyone listening we've always supported Oli we'll continue to support Oli and I'm sure even if Paul is critical of this next point it doesn't mean that he's not supportive of Oli but in, in this point in this particular point is that a criticism would you say just just have stuck with a team even knowing that I mean if, if, if it does wear him down a little bit make the changes as early as you can if you have to do that but start with a stronger team as possible um, but yeah. do, do you put that one on the manager? Yeah, I, I certainly do, and to be honest, he's you know he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. But mm. the, is, the issue is, people expected Manchester United to win to win the game at home against Leicester, yeah, and they didn't because one of the reasons was was the amount of changes that he went and make, made, and it was great. You had you had two young players there. Those young players there deserved the opportunity to play with first team regulars. They were lost, that, weren't they? Alanga yeah, was they, lost. Yeah, they, they were, it would have enhanced them. It would have, that's, how, that's how you improve as a player, by playing with those cards. Let them play with Fernandez playing with them. Mm. Let them play with Cavani, trying to play off of him. His movement would have made their game easier. No, you don't do that, do you, Ollie? You put them in players, a little bit, maybe a bit bitter and twisted, not really the energy to move about. So... It was, it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't right. You know, you got Mark, you had Rashford as your centre forward. Sorry, that's not going to work. That's, it's not, it's not going to work. So I really was disappointed when I, when I saw that team. I virtually the TV was on, but my head wasn't engaging really as much as it should, maybe should have done because I just, I could just see what was going to happen. It just wasn't. It was, it, it, it was wrong for him to do what he'd done there, and it, and that and that followed on into the next game as well. Yeah, by doing that. Let's talk about that Liverpool game. Um, so yeah, I'll take 
your point certainly and I've done I've agreed with that throughout the season you know the momentum being a key thing and I do think sometimes Ollie's misread those situations because we've got momentum we seem to have lost momentum when we could have controlled it better it's alright everyone loses momentum and gains it that's part of football but I think what we're saying and what you've said a couple of times is that there's been the opportunity for Ollie to really grasp the nettle of that and he, he hasn't really um, and that could be said for, for Tuesday and, and for Thursday the the main thing for me on, on Thursday Paul was that re, it was a really soft centred performance um, I thought Bayern and Lindelof were it, it, it was concerningly bad and when you play as bad as that um, and, and Fred by the way who was dreadful yeah. in possession um, I think it hurts the players around them you you mentioned Alan and the, the, the you know the, the younger players who played on, on Tuesday night and the lack of the senior players around them and I agree with that the the flip side the flip side the alternative way of looking at a different argument with that same kind of premise is some players make other players look really poor I'm always on the fence with which of Fred and McTominay is going to be the one that sort of benefits from having a better player next to him because obviously you don't replace both of them at the same time Ollie's not going to do that he's going to replace one and then the other if he needs to do it if there's an audition for which one's losing um, they're placing the team Fred's losing it massively isn't there because that was really bad that was really bad against Liverpool and the way that he and then Lindelof and Bai combined as a this really really weak centre and I, I'm I'm being as emphatic as I can without wanting to throw those players completely under the bus because they're in there, they're paid, they're professionals, they've got a job to do. But they played bad. They, they were very, very bad. And it makes it look worse for Anderson, who obviously needs some kind of confidence, and he didn't look good, and he had a lot of people throwing him under the bus. And I think, well, obviously, because you've got Bayern Lindelof, who plays six yards from the goal. And I can remember, before Maguire came along... We would have palpitations about that on this podcast. I'm not saying it's improved massively under Maguire, but there's been an improvement. And as soon as it regresses to that, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember these heart attacks that I used to have. <laughs> they're, they're, they're very pleasant. It makes Shaw look bad. It makes Wambasaka look bad. It makes McTominay look bad. I, I don't want to say it's all down to those three players because it was a poor team performance, but Paul... Oh, those three players really stand up as sort of the the three worst from that game. It was really bad, wasn't it? Yeah, it was bad. But what we've done is we've kind of named players who have kind of been in there, and they they had there was in the mix. They had to be, the two centre halves had to be in the mix. They had to compete. So everything was highlighted about them. And just yeah. quickly, the goalkeeper was poor. It wasn't. It was poor handling. The, the winning, um, the fourth goal was was. Yeah. I looked at it. It was disgraceful. Someone must have tied his ankle to the near post. Yeah. What was his positioning was awful. Never seen it. And I tell you what, people keep saying it. There are so many people out there. The ones, in my opinion, who are just saying it because they're FIFA orientated and they've looked at stats and they, have, they don't watch games. They just look at stats and they base every when they watch it. Then they're the kind of people who read the headlines but don't look, don't even look at the subheadlines. Let let alone the story. Is uh, Henderson had to be this because he what, what he done at Sheffield United. At Sheffield United, he shot stopped. Yeah. He didn't goalkeeper. He didn't goalkeep. He shot stopped. 
He, had, he never had those moments to really, big breathers to be relaxed and then tune into the game because he's not involved. Didn't do that, hasn't done that really. De Gea has been doing it for ages. So quick to get rid of a, a good goalkeeper, a really good goalkeeper who kept United in so many situations, got them to Europe, got them, in, got, got them to a, a final, got, got them into the Champions League. But yet people just forget so quick now. And all of a sudden they go with what's, what, what they see in front of them now. There were two, out, two mistakes, handling. And, there, and he, did one, he did one, another one, and no one grabbed onto it. But it was poor. Mm. So Oli has to make a big decision soon. It's, gonna, it's another one, but people are going to slag him off for it. Others are going to pat him on the back. But he's got to make a decision on the goalkeeper because he can't keep the hair on the bench. Let me ask you, you about can't this. do it because all he's doing is allowing cameras to pan in every time one or the other makes a mistake. It's yeah. embarrassing, yeah. embarrassing what these what these people do. Yeah. So I'm just saying that now he has to make a big mistake monetary wise. You can't have the amount of money sitting there. It doesn't make sense. Even for Manchester United, it wouldn't make sense. Even for Man City, it wouldn't make any sense to have two goalkeepers earning earning the money they're earning. It doesn't because yeah. you know you're talking nearly five hundred grand. Yeah, well, if Henderson gets a new contract, which ele- yeah. elevates him as the the senior goalkeeper, then yeah, because De Gea is on that kind of money. Um, but this is we talked about this. I sent you. We talked about it on WhatsApp, and it was before the Villa game. So that's before the two games that we played. I think De Gea played the Leicester one, didn't they? Well, De Gea played one of them, and, and Henderson obviously in goal for Liverpool. And we, I'm, because I messaged you because I was watching the new film on Fergie, the Never Give In, and he was talking about the the Jim Layton and Les Seely moment in 1990, where he dropped Jim Layton after the FA Cup final, and it, and basically what he said was, um, Les wasn't as good a goalkeeper as Jim, but he thought that he was. He thought that he was better, and that kind of gave confidence to the, the defense. And I think anyone who can remember Jim Leighton as, as a good goalkeeper can definitely attest to that. But Leighton lost his confidence. Um, Seely probably wouldn't have been in the top ten goalkeepers in the, in the league. I mean, I mean, that might even be being kind, but he had the confidence to say that you know I will be the best. Um, and sometimes you do need that kind of thing, but. I mentioned this to you, Paul, because I said, oh, do you think that might be the case with um, Anderson and De Gea? And not so much that De Gea's had a Jim Layton moment that he's he's lost his confidence and it can't be um, pulled back, because I, I don't think we're at that, case, at that stage yet. And that was always the point where where Solskjaer was having to make that judgment. Is he making the judgment? Is he now at the point where... Um, where he has lost his confidence like Leighton had and I don't think he ever has has done it and he's never shown that he's not a good goalkeeper yeah he he might not be as good as or his decision making might not have been as good as it was a couple of years ago but is he better than Henderson I would have still said yes I still felt the trigger was still too early to be pulled but I mean that that comparison not so much in terms of quality because perhaps Henderson's a better goalkeeper than Les and De Gea is certainly better than what Leighton was but the principle of pulling a trigger on, on the goalkeeper because it's one of the most crucial positions in the team um, it is a very tricky one for, for Solskjaer isn't it do you think do you think that maybe he pulled it too early I, th- I personally think he did I think he got I think he got really pushed into it by what was being said and he and, he, and, he, and I think he maybe jumped jumped too quick yeah I, I personally do really do think he's, he, he jumped far too quick in it 
And now, if, now he's put himself in a position and the games he's played him in where everyone thinks that he is now, he is now number one, Henderson. Yeah. Sometimes, and I just, it might come to a point, being goalkeepers mature later, later in their careers, it might come to a point where Henderson might just need a breather. Yeah. He just might come to it because it's a fact they, they, um, they do, um, what's the word, I just used it again, do mature that little bit later. It's like good centre halves, they mature a little bit later as well because of the responsibilities of playing in the middle. And Manchester United know, know all about that. We've seen it in a moment with, this, with the issues at centre half that they've got there. So it's, it's a concern, and I, I really do worry about Henderson. I really do playing, you know, playing in goal and the pressure that he's under. And Ollie's got, you know, I think he's got to be stronger. I really do think he's got to be stronger and start doing things. And everyone, everyone, and everyone just suddenly goes, "Yep, he's nailed that one. He's no, he's put that's his mark on that one. He's done that." At this moment in time, I don't think I don't think you're looking at it, you think yourself, "Are oh, you being decisive enough?" And, and we're going back to what we're saying, just quickly, is that you, Fred? We talk about Fred, and Fred had a poor, Fred had yeah, poor game. But the thing about Fred though is that he doesn't go missing. He makes something, and all of a sudden you can imagine everyone going, "Fred, please stay away from the ball, stay away from the ball." When it's over. but he doesn't go missing. Yeah, you can find him all the time. He's looking for it after he gave away a goal. He couldn't go and get quick enough to get himself out of it. Brian McClare. Brian McClare's one of, was exactly that. And the boss used to have a go at him, but Brian never went missing. He'll go if he made a mistake, but he felt it was the right decision what he tried to do. He just executed wrong. He'll go and get hold of it again and go and do that just to get it right, just to turn around and say to himself, "Yeah, I knew it was right." And just everyone else, look, there you are. The one for me who people won't talk about it all the time. You got to look at McTominay. Yeah. What What does he really do except get the ball, roll his foot over it, and pass it square? Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's too simplified. You, you can't. You're not going to win the league. And I said it ages ago, and a lot of people come back and kept saying, oh, he's going to be our captain soon. He, you know, he, he's pumping the badge at Manchester United running for him. I don't care about all that, to be perfectly honest. You're on about a footballer who's playing in midfield. And yes, you know, you're turning around and you're kind of trying to identify him as what he is. I really don't know what he is, to be honest, really. I think he might end up as a a centre-half at some point, but he's not a central midfield player on a regular basis for a team that's going to compete and win, maybe win a Premier League for Manchester United. I still believe that. And if it does happen, trust me, no one needs to come and start slagging me off but anywhere on social media. I'll be eating humble pie myself if that happens and I'll be willing to accept it because that's what life's about. That's what football's about. You, you, you have an opinion and if it goes the other way, you go... Okay, but it was just a, it was a judgment call, and what I, and I've been saying it for quite a while. Every time I watch him play, and I think to myself, he's identified as an as a defensive midfield player, which in today's football is an easy one because everyone's just given. It's virtually saying you're not clever enough; you can just be that. Yeah. So, but yeah. Roy Keane was everything. Yeah. Brian Robson was everything. Dare I say it? And it will maybe upset people. Paul Ince was everything. Yeah. They weren't identified as one. Yeah, no. They say they they come and say, oh, but he was really good at that though. But he was he was he was good at that as well. Now you go McTominay and you go, you identify it straight away. Is that because now foot, coaches are saying footballers are not that clever, so we're just going to identify a position and, and that's what they're going to do? Why can't you just be a midfield player? Why have you got to be? He's going a new world of acronyms, a DM. 
or you're an attacking midfield player. I'll tell you what, look at Fernandes. What kind of midfield player is he? Oh, he scores goals, but he makes tackles on the edge of his box. Yeah. I mean, to be perfect, let's just talk about Fernandes quickly. He made a tackle. Um, he made it, was it, he, he did something in the, um, in the attacking box and it didn't work out for him. Throws himself to the floor, screams, the ball transfers to the other end. He's still screaming. Paul Pogba's gone back. He's because he's, Fingal's screaming, he wants something because everyone's got caught up in the screaming. He gives away a ridiculous foul trying to win the ball, being petulant and a challenge. They take the free kick. They knock the ball in the box. Paul Pogba's not marking at the far post. And what happens? A goal is scored. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. But no one... But. That's down. Someone, Oli again. Oli has got to speak to Fernandez because he's talking to a he's talking to a young boy, really, compared to our old Oli is, and say to him, "You're you're this, you're that. You're fantastic at doing that. When someone kicks the side of your boot, stay on your feet and let them know that you're not hurt. Stop screaming because you're affecting the team. Because what you want him to do is straight away. He hasn't got what he's wanted." Play to the whistle as you do as you will do your kid when he plays. Play to the whistle, son. The referee's the one who will stop the game, not you. Sprint back, win the ball back, grab the ball and say to the referee, what about that? Yeah. Instead of lying on the floor, he lied on the floor and he affected the team because everyone stopped and hoping he was going to get a foul. Yeah. No, no, you're right. And as a fan, you watch it and you think, in the moment, you watch it, you think, oh, God, he's been fouled. And oh, if he's limping afterwards, oh, that's going to affect us. And then... 40 minutes of the game wears on and you think oh no he's still playing and he's absolutely fine yeah. it's, embar- it's embarrassing because it's it like well you've, you've cried wolf and now they're going to mark your card for the next, next time you do it it's I don't know it's, it is, and it's frustrating because Fernandez is obviously one of the better players and one of the better contributors and you just don't want in, in, in moments where you haven't been fouled or where you're not going to get anything or even if you think that you have been fouled like they're now the VAR's there to make that decision. Do you know? Um, they become more favourable to the more absurd. The, the more it goes on, so you don't need to over exaggerate anything. Like no, I mean, what's happening now is it's a bit. It's a. It's, it's becoming that point now. Is that they're not sh- they're, when they're doing something now. They straight away they're dramatising. It's amazing. These, these a lot of them now should be going parts, going for parts, saying extenders and things like that. <laughs> is that the moment they're kind of going right and they're screaming out loud to get attention and the referees because the referees need an education as well they need to go and watch training sessions just turn up randomly and just say to, can I just watch a session and watch what they do in training you watch the amount of kicks they'll take in training and they will not be screaming they will turn around if anything they'll confront a teammate to say what are you doing you idiot or something like that and watch them and then you, they re, you realise they're taking the mickey out of you when they throw themselves to the floor. The one when they're, the one when they're letting the ball go out and they've got their back to the player, and all of a sudden the back, the player in the back will just touch their back to check him that doesn't make sure he doesn't tread on them. The moment he touches their back, they throw themselves to the floor. The, the assistant referee will look at the referee and see what he says because he's not an assistant referee anymore. He's a dog's body. He's just there, and the referee points his fingers to which way it's going to go, and he raises the flag. And then they throw themselves to the floor. Referee goes foul. Mm. Waste, waste of time. So you need, we need now just this little bit to be sorted out. And with Fernandez, he needs Ollie just to talk to him and say, don't do that. Stop doing that. You're affecting a team. You are, you, you, you were captain that day 
and you are meant to lead the team. And he got told, by the way, during that game by the referee. The referee pointed to his armband and he was reminding him that he's a captain with his behaviour. Yeah. You know, when, when other players front go down, he's trying to pick them up. Mm. Yeah. So, no, yeah, And I don't know if other United fans are like it, but as much as they love Fernandes, there's certain bits you want to take out of players because they're that good and you just want them to be the best and everyone like them because of it. That's why everyone loved Brian Robson because they knew he was tough. And the moment anyone hit him, he never went after, he never went to the referee because he, he, he knew what his game was and he knew how he was and that's why Robbo is respected by everyone in football because he never went bleating to the referee. Yeah. Kino never went, Kino is, is, is loved to be hated but you name, you go around anybody, maybe even them, them, them people 40 miles, 40 miles up the M62, is, it, is the M62, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you go, you got there, and they'll turn around and talk about, about the United games with Keno playing, they'll turn around and say, he's this, he's that, but what a good player. Yeah, no. Because they, they, they would do, they, they wouldn't do it, they'll say it quietly and then they'll finish it. They wouldn't want to go and talk about him, how good he was, but they'll just turn around, what a good player. And that's the least of it, they'll say. And that's what it's about. If you, if you want to give it, then you've got to accept it, which is a life skill. And Fernandez has to do it to be seen, even though things we talk about greats, that's one of the things about, being, about that side of it. It's not just about being this great goal scorer and whatever. It's about those little bits, about if you're willing to give it, when someone does it to you, you just look at them and you nod and you say, yeah, okay. But just then be aware of it might happen to you again. Scolzi was the best at that. Yeah. Scolzi bided his time. Everyone, Skull, you know, think, I'll talk about Scolzi, a footballer. He, Scolzi was tough. He stood no, he didn't stand for it, but he got on with it. He didn't go bleating to the ref when he got kicked. He never didn't, he did not want to let anybody know that he got hurt. Hmm. He didn't want anybody because Scalzi was snide yeah. as well, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, of course he was. Without a shadow, without a shadow of doubt, I didn't want to say that word because I thought to myself Are people going to understand when I use that word. But that was an old, old-fashioned word that was used many years ago when I was a kid. And I thought to myself, wait, yeah, you understand it, <laughs> and you're, you're, you know, you're about 15, 16, 17 years younger than me. But other kids might not understand it. But that was a name. That was a schoolyard name, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um... I, I, you made a point earlier, and I do wonder if um, maybe maybe De Gea's maybe it'd be worth recalling him just for the fact that Bay and Lindelof are the centre backs, and he's he's used to playing in front of that kind of chaos um, and pulling him out of it. So maybe that that would help Henderson in the short term um, and, and United. Um, do, do you worry a little bit about this dropping dropping form? I mean, I I don't want to kind of throw a negative omen out there and we've still got games to turn this round but 2018 before the cup final we dropped off and then we lost the cup final 2019 we had that um, horrendous end to the season where we you know we looked like I mean, there are a couple of games in there that we said were some of the worst that we've seen from United um, was it Everton away it always seems like it's Everton away anyway. oh Everton away blimey and um, and then last season um even last year there was the um, just before the well towards the end of the season there were the, a couple of draws at home against West Ham and Southampton where we were thinking oh god we might not qualify for the top four here and then and then obviously we had the it didn't look great in the last stages of the Europa League although to be fair that was like a year a month a year a month off between games wasn't it the, between the league and the or, or a few weeks at least but what I'm saying is we've had these sort of 
late season collapses and um, do, you, do you worry that that's I mean obviously it's a concern because of the way that we're playing at the moment but do you think that this is like that kind of crucial time where Ollie's perhaps taken from Thursday to tomorrow to maybe address the players and say look this has happened three or four times now and you guys really mm. need to change the sort of flow of the tide yeah, I suppose he's got to sit down with him. But the, the biggest thing, he's got this final at the end, and that's on his mind. He's worried about someone getting injured. Yeah. Now, the Harry Maguire one injury has mostly frightened him now, in that sense. He's thinking, cool, this could, this could happen to somebody in the spine of my team. Yeah, I could lose Cavani. Is he going to play Cavani? You can't just suddenly wrap Cavani up in cotton wool and then throw him into a final. Yeah, and that doesn't work because of... He, even though people go, oh, he needs to rest. No, he doesn't. He doesn't need to rest. Messi doesn't need to rest. Ronaldo doesn't need to rest. Certain players, and I'm talk- I went high calibre there, but it's a- sometimes you just need to keep ticking over. You need to play. Yeah. You might start him in a game, but you might bring him off. But you've got to, be- you've got to use him. You've got to keep his engine running because the moment you switch it off and you go out there to use it again, it might stall on you. Yeah. And he might struggle. And you can see that. Ollie never used him for a long while when he first had him. And I'm kind of scratching What are you doing that for? And then obviously somebody woke him up and said, what are you doing? And he's done it. And he's got himself out of jail by using him. But he, was, he, he got sucked into Martial for some reason. So there's somebody at the moment who's controlling something and stopping him doing something. But if you're going to go down, go down in flames, well, you've got to make sure that at the end of the day, you throw the petrol on yourself. Don't, don't allow someone else to lead you that way. Great to listen to people, but they're, they're there to be listened to, but then for you to make decision yourself. And if he's going to go now, between now and that final, worried about players and leaving them out and playing weakened teams, then it's going to be a tail-off. And then you're going to go into a final without playing the regular players together, and then you're going to go into a final in bits. Villarreal had a comprehensive win, didn't they, yesterday? I think so, yeah. I think they... Yeah, I think they scored threes or fours or something. So it'd be interesting what he's doing at this moment, this moment in time. Emery with, he, with, he, with his team, but I'm quite sure of his experience in this in this in this competition, in that competition, and and the Spanish league that he's he's going quite strong. He knowing that he needs, in my opinion, he needs continuity. Um, to go and win games and then he needs continuity to get the performances to make the players focus feel good and right going into a major game and at the moment they're going in they're going in against Wolves and they're on the edge Wolves were pathetic they didn't liven up until they were 2-0 down yesterday yeah and so they're coming to Old Trafford is that Old, is that Old no, Trafford isn't it Mo- Mo- no is it Molyneux F- Fulham's at um, Old Trafford tomorrow yeah, yeah. Ful- yeah Fulham yeah Fulham so they've got Fulham and they've got whatever Wolves and that coming up yeah. but Fulham but you know Fulham Fulham I was I was at Fulham the other day when they got relegated against Burnley they're awful they're awful the other day how awful are they going to be when they come to Old Trafford they might be a good awful because they're coming to Old Trafford and there's a few of those players are on loan. They might want to show out a bit because they know a lot of people are watching that game because it's at Manchester United at Old Trafford. So they're going to slightly lift their game. There's nothing else to. They didn't play like a team was relegated the other day, yesterday or whenever it was, which was strange. They, they could play with freedom, but they didn't against Southampton. This might be the game they go and do it. So it's going to be tough. Yeah. So he's going to have to name the right side, so they do not, so they, so they start right. So then he can then take players off then, when the, when the when the job's done. But if he leaves it too long and they're being outplayed, 
or Fulham have got still got a foothold in the game, it's not good. Yeah. It's not good at all because people will forget everything. And we have to remember, this is Oni Gooder Solskjaer, the manager that everyone loves to hate in the media. Yeah, I, I've got a feeling that Maguire will play, even if he's like 50% fit, he'll play on well, in the I, final. I, well, if, he, if he's going to be 50% fit to play in the final, then he's being selfish. No, yeah, I'm, 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 yeah I'm, what I'm saying is I'm looking at him and I'm thinking you've got five changes to make. You can make three subs um, and then you've got the, the half-time break mm. um, as well. So I, I just think they'll, they'll use it as a, a gamble worth taking and pro- oh. probably, Paul, looking at the defence... Yeah, it might be selfish, but it probably would you take a fifty percent Maguire over? Well, well, to be honest, really, the problem with Aaron Maguire is not the most he's not the most mobile, the most agile. So, if for him to have an injury with his ankle, which is the ankle or foot, which is the bit, the, the manipulation of the foot is one of the it's one of the yeah. ones. And listen, my, listen to my my bit is my experience and my knowledge. What I was told by the doctor when I had my ankle operation you have ankle operations they're the hardest ones to come one of the hardest come back for because of everything around it the bones the tendons and all the little nooks and crannies around now for the movement it's very difficult I struggled I stopped Alan Shearer very similar never recovered yeah. couldn't, do, couldn't do what he's doing Harry Maguire and to be isn't agile his movement is not good, so for him to be fifty percent could be more of a liability because he's not going because he's going to turn slower than what he does already, because he's going to be worried about twisting the ankle, moving the manipulation of the ankle. So it's it's not a gamble. Manchester United or him should be taken if it's fifty-fifty for midfield player who who attacks, scores goals, a centre forward scores goals. You might do like Tottenham did with with um, Harry Kane in the Champions League. Harry Kane self-appointed himself in the League Cup final against City. Scores goals. Not going to really going to cost you goals. Go the other way. Harry Maguire could cost you goals, and then you have to make a, a rash substitution, which could unsettle everything again. Yeah, I know. But what I'm saying is a fifty percent Maguire or a hundred percent. Lindelof and Pike <laughs> still, mm. I, I, I don't know I think I'd roll the dice um, but it, this is the thing Paul it's like a, it's a tough kind of choice for these the manager to make but also in the next couple of weeks what we've got is these positions that are going to be up for grabs so it's yeah it's alright those players you would want to play a, um, a first choice side for the next two games at least you know um, now we've had that sort of rough run of three games in five days but now it's there it's, there's enough time for rest and those players to get um, some proper rest between games it should be the first choice and those players are playing for positions um, what, what, where do you stand on this I mean this, the, I won't ask you to sort of preview the Wolves game in detail but just on that on the fact that there's a defensive position up for grabs probably Lindelof's Next to Maguire is is the safe one, so Lindelof will be in there. Do you do you think it's as straightforward as saying Bayes definitely going to partner him if and, until Maguire's fit, or do you think that he should be looking at Twanzebi or maybe even uh, moving McTominay about there? Um, I don't think he would maybe go at it, and he, it's worth trying him there if you can in the next game. Yeah, it might be might be worth trying him there and to see if that works out. But if it's not going to work out, then to be perfectly honest, I think the one you the one you are looking at is going to be by. He doesn't seem to like Tuanzebe. I think he's gone off him. The lad hasn't recovered. He's done great against PSG. The game after, 
we finished him to be perfectly honest and I think Oli left him out for a long period then brought him back in from the cold and he had a poor game again I, I, I think the lad I think he needs to go back out on loan again to be yeah. perfectly honest so um, it's very it's, it's a difficult one in that position again it's a it's in a position of authority being a centre half I played many a season playing centre half at Fulham and then going to playing in the middle I should say at Fulham um, for three years and then going on playing in the middle for Queen's Park Rangers for four years I come to Manchester United there was talk of me playing in there and to be perfectly honest I'm glad it didn't work out because it's a different game playing for Manchester United in the middle yeah. a different kind of game no one's going to understand it players will players will understand it but I think unless you're really football you're not really going to understand what I'm trying to say by it but yeah, it was a, and I was fortunate that I'd, I had to re-educate myself at playing at fullback again, and I'm glad it worked out that way. That way, because I was fortunate enough to to play with, you know, a, a pair that that don't get talked about enough anymore. Mm. Well, we'll talk about them here, Bruce and Palliser. Always talk <laughs> about them on this show. Um, to love them so much. Um, well, that's it for this week, guys. Um, next next week when we talk um, to you on this podcast, we will be previewing the Europa League final and reviewing the final two games of the league season to see where United finish um, hopefully second I mean Chelsea and Leicester are playing each other this week so one of those has to take points off the other um, both could drop points obviously as well um, so you would technically think that United should finish second um, and get over the line there but you never know <laughs> with the way that we are and the way that we finish seasons at the moment as long my, my preference is I think it's for Chelsea to win so that it makes it that little bit dip, more difficult for Liverpool to get into the Champions League um, and derail the momentum for another season um, but we shall see it's going to be all decided by this time next week and then we'll be looking forward to that Europa League final um, remember TOTD 10 for a 10% discount with classic football shirts leave us a nice review or rating on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed the show we will be back next week stay safe stay well thanks for li- listening and if you can catch someone to give them a hug do that even if Paul is going to reject my advances <laughs> we'll speak to you next week guys Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.